everybody. Uh, good morning, good evening, wherever you are. I'm with the legend, Dana White. I'm very honored that he's taking his very precious time to share his thoughts, learn from him to all our friends in uh, Southeast Asia and beyond in Asia. So good morning, Dana, or good evening. Good morning, my friend. How are you? Good. Where are you at the moment? I'm in, I'm in Vegas. I'm, I'm in our war room. This is where we make all the fights. So home is now Vegas? Yeah, yeah. I, I've been in Vegas for over 25 years. Dana, you're, a, you're an amazing story. Born in New England, fresh out of high school in Boston, and then you've gone and created this thing. So tell us about your childhood and what were your aspirations when you were young? Did you ever think you'd end up doing this? Did, you know, was boxing your, your love at, at an early stage? Just tell us, tell us the thought process. Yeah, I've been very lucky in, in that ever, ever since I was a kid, I always knew exactly what I wanted to do. I loved fighting. I, I loved uh, martial arts. I loved the sport of boxing. Now, I, you know, I, anything to do with fighting. I, I literally just had a guy here. He is he, the foremost expert on, on samurais and swords and all that stuff. I just bought a bunch of uh, a samurai swords and I already have some, but... And I'm looking to buy more. I love everything that that has to do with fighting. And I've been that way since I was a kid. So I always knew that I wanted to be involved in the fight business. Right. And can you remember your first fight? Look, I remember my first one was was Muhammad Ali and Joe Fraser, right? My father was a was big into boxing. N- yep. n- never really into wrestling and stuff, but I loved boxing, right? And I remember my yep. first fight. I mean, what was what was the first what was your first memory of the fight world? Yeah, so my my uncles, I I, uh, I would be at my grandmother's house, and all my uncles would be over there, and big fights would be on. And I just remember being really, really young and feeling this sort of energy and buzz inside the house that I liked. I yeah. liked the way it felt. I liked the way they reacted to the fights. I liked everything about it. So that that was my earliest memories, of, you know, boxing being on television. So boxing was the first kind of fighting that you you got into, right? Listen, I liked boxing. Became a big boxing fan. If a street fight broke out, I loved. I used to love to watch kids street fight. I was a big martial, you know, Chuck Norris, Bruce Lee. Oh yeah, you know, all, all that stuff growing up. Street fight. Tell me about that. Love street fights. So every every day after school, when I was in high school, you know, something would happen and there were street fights literally every day after school and every weekend out on weekends. And I used to be fascinated by watching a lot of these street fights. And street fights with gloves or bare knuckles? No, no, no. No, just a fight that would break out at parties or, you know, two kids would have beef at school. So our school that we went to, there was a park across the street and kids would fight over at that park every day. All right. Okay. So did you see yourself as a boxer or involved in boxing? I mean, you're pretty well built, you know, you. No, I was a boxer. Yeah, no, I, I, I used to, I was obsessed with boxing. I used to eat, sleep and breathe it. And it was all I cared about, all I thought about. For, for a big chunk of my life. And, and tell me, who were who the boxers that you got excited about? The, 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 the typical, uh, you know, Marvin Hagler, Muhammad Ali, Mike Tyson. I, I was a big Evander Holyfield fan, too. I loved Holyfield. Yeah, he was special. Do you remember this yeah. Cuban boxer? My dad and me used to love him because he never turned professional, right? Tefilio Stevenson. He won the gold medal many times. Do you ever remember watching him? Yeah, yeah. You're talking about the Cuban? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, of course. He, he was special. Would have loved to have seen him in the ring with uh, Ali or, or, or someone. 
I know some of those guys that they couldn't go pro from Cuba. It would yeah. have been interesting to see what they could have done. Really would have been. Do you know, we, we only watch boxing on TV. And when I finally got to a live match, you know, being ringside, it's, com- it's completely different, right? I mean, the, sure is. the power, the energy, yeah, it's a little bit scary in some ways, even though you're outside, right? I mean, you see what right. these guys are going through. I'm just going to digress because I'm a, I'm a massive boxing fan. And, you know, I kind of had a little bit of a, I went and saw the Pacquiao fight. Uh, you know, we sponsored Manny in his last fight. When he got, he won, but he got beaten up pretty bad. And I saw him after the fight. Do you think boxing could be made safer or is that just what you buy into? It's what you buy into. I mean, believe me, over the last hundred years, they've been doing everything they can to make boxing safer and safer. It's just the the way you win is you either knock the guy unconscious or you hit him in the head more times than he hits you in the head. So listen, everybody who gets involved in the fight game from a young age, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that it's it's not good to get punched in the head. It's bad for you. It's really bad for you. But it's something that, you know, some people have to do it because, that you know, they they come from rough places. They come from places that people like you and I can't even imagine. And that's their ticket out. And then you have other people who are just in love with the sport and become obsessed with it. We all take risks in life. Life is the one thing that's not guaranteed. You know, you got guys that are working in coal mines and, uh, you know, risk the lung injuries. I mean, your business is planes, you know, we all risk something in life. I wanted to put it out there because, you know, there's a, there's a lobby against, you know, it's too violent, it's you know, dangerous, but I think people go into it with the full knowledge, right? I think there shouldn't be any lobbying about anything. I think everybody should mind their business. And what should happen is people do what they want to do. You do what drives you, you do what, what you're passionate about, or you do whatever you've been gifted with, you know, whatever talents you have, whatever it is that you do in life, as long as you're not hurting other people or doing anything illegal, you should be able to do. Yep. Dana, how did you go? So tell us how you got to UFC, right? I mean, so you love boxing. How did you get to the UFC spot? If you could just guide us along, guide the public along and how you kind of made this, this amazing move. So I came back to Las Vegas in 1995 and I was out here training fighters and you know I, I was in the game yeah and Bo- boxing game right and yeah. boxing and i ended up bumping into my old high school friend lorenzo fertita him and his brother frank owned station casinos and frank was there too we, we, we were at a mutual friend's wedding and we started talking you know they're big fight fans too they love boxing and lorenzo had just got on the nevada state athletic commission right and he said let's get together and train let's do this that's so when we started training then one night frank fertita and i were at the hard rock here in las vegas and there was a guy there named john lewis and he owned the only jujitsu school in las vegas at the time he was a black belt and he had fought in the ufc before so I knew him. So Frank and I went over and talked to him and uh, we set up an appointment for jujitsu lessons on Monday. Frank Lorenzo and I went to jujitsu that first Monday and we became addicted. We started training three, four days a week. We fell in love with it. And through him, we started to meet a lot of the fighters and we started to kind of get into the UFC and we absolutely fell in love with it. Long story short, I started managing Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz and I got into a huge contract battle with the old owner of the UFC, Bob Meyerowitz over Tito's contract. And through that, I found out that they were in trouble and going out of business. So I called the Fertitas and said, this thing's in trouble. I think we could buy it. And I think we should. A month later, we own the company. Wow. That's that's an amazing story. Just just for the listeners out there, you know, who I'm I'm trying to introduce UFC and stuff. Tell us the difference in your mind or, or the difference between UFC, MMA, wrestling, 
Mao Tai, you know, just just take us a few minutes through that. Yeah, well, well the, the reality is, you know, when you when you look when you look at Muay Thai, wrestling, boxing, kung fu, karate, you know, and, and the list goes on and on. The UFC is basically all of those things, and it's called mixed martial arts is the name of the sport. Okay, and you know, Bruce Lee said back in the early seventies, you know, one no one style is the best. You have to have a little piece of everything to be a complete fighter. And, and, and he was right. But that was never proved until 1993 when the first UFC happened. Right. You know, you, you got to have a little wrestling. You got to have some jujitsu. You got to have stand up, uh, whether it's, you, you know, you need some Muay Thai, you need some boxing. You know, I'd say the three most effective fighting styles are Muay Thai, wrestling and jujitsu. You have those three things. You can handle yourself pretty well. That's good. Tell, tell us about just slight digression because you know we in, in in Malaysia we grew up watching all this these wrestling shows. Tell us how UFC and wrestling are they different audiences? Are they similar? Yeah, you know I, I grew up watching wrestling too. I was a wrestling fan when I was a kid. Yeah. But then you grow up and once you realize, you know, it's a show. yeah, that that, that, <laughs> that that works. It makes it a little tougher to watch. And and what happens is you have these groups of people that separate like this. Some are going to the real fighting, you know, because they want what's real. And then the other people that like the storylines and, you know, like, like the theatrics. Is there any real fighting in wrestling? I've heard stories. I've heard stories where, you know, some of these guys, like the the, the, the Andre the Giant yeah. a, a documentary. I can't remember if it's a documentary or 30 for 30 or something like that. On Andre the Giant is excellent. It's so good. And I guess... You know, if he didn't like you, he'd really beat the shit out of you when he went in there to wrestle right. with you. And they're saying that leading up to the end before he died, that the big wrestling match with Hulk Hogan, yeah, even Vince McMahon didn't know if Hulk Hogan was going to win. Hulk Hogan was supposed to win. Right. He didn't know if Andre the Giant was going to let him win. <laughs> so... Let me tell you what, when you hear stories like that, it makes that shit a lot more fun. How does anyone survive some of those things when you're watching it, right? So if it's real, it's real. There's there's no doubt that the guys, that, that the wrestlers, what they're doing, they're athletic, they're strong, and they're tough. Yeah. Tough people. You know, so in your mind, just, just for the audience out here, as we get, obviously UFC is, is huge out here. Wrestling is not as large. But in America, is UFC number one and, and, and wrestling next and then boxing where, where does it all fit in terms of audience size and popularity and stuff? Listen, we're, we're the largest pay-per-view provider in the world right now. There's always going to be a boxing match that will pop up here and there. Yeah. And, you know, people can make some money. But I, I don't know the state of wrestling right now. You know, those guys, those guys never seem to be doing too bad. You know, they, they, yeah. they, they, run, they run a tight ship over there. They, they know what they're doing. They, they know their, their fan base. I own a professional football club in, in the UK, and our neighbors and competitors are Americans, Tony Khan. And uh, he, set yep. up some, he set up some wrestling, wrestling uh, kind of league. He's doing well, too. Yeah. How many of these wrestling leagues are there? There's, I don't know, but, but those are the two biggest. Yeah. Tony Khan and, and Vince McMahon are the biggest. And in terms of mixed martial arts, I mean, Vince's stock, the WWE stock right now is at $60 a share. So he's doing pretty damn well. Doing all right. And do you have anywhere anyone coming close to you in UFC? Obviously, out in Asia, we have the one championship with Chatsiri and those dudes. But in America, is there anyone who's trying to take a take a piece out of Dana White? There isn't anyone anywhere, <laughs> inclu including Asia. 
know, going back to boxing, it's been a long time since I could talk to someone about boxing out here. When I grew up, there was a WBA only. Then the WBC came on. Now there's so many. As a purist, you know, who is the real world champion? There's so many now, right? And I mean, you see the English boxers coming in and stuff. Will there ever be a unified kind of uh, boxing association? And, and what happened? And why are there so many? I mean, you're at ground level, Dana. Money. <laughs> Money, baby. Yeah, I don't know. I, listen, boxing is so broken and yeah. and busted up. I don't know how you fix it. You ever thought of going in there? Uh, yeah. I, I looked at it many times. And uh, it's it's just... It's it's a tough one to, to, to dig your uh, teeth into and try to fix. And, and to be honest with you, I got so much stuff going on here. Why would I even Why would I even try to do that and and take time away from something that's proven to work the way that the UFC does? I know, but we all have you know we all have this vision and passion. And I mean, you grew up with boxing, right? It's sad to see. It's confusing to me. Who is the real world champion, right? And you, you have these unifying fights. And in your mind, which is the best run boxing association? Well, here's the thing, Tony, too. What, what you got to realize is if I'm a young kid growing up today, yeah. why would I box when I could take MMA and do everything? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, so they're losing. You, you're gaining the best fighters now. 100%. Yeah. It, it just, it, and, and, and when you watch a UFC event, it's so much more exciting. Yeah. You can kick, knee, punch, elbow, slam to the ground, go for submissions. Yeah. There's just it's just so it's so much more exciting and entertaining. You know, Dana, I my sound engineer is next to me, right? He's he's had to listen to musicians, he's had to listen to politicians when I'm doing this show. This is the only show I can see him so engrossed. And he's nodding every time you say something, especially about why would you go into boxing when you've got UFC? I've never seen him with any any reaction on anything, but you've got him going. Oh, man. And that's 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 the great thing. Yeah, tell me what Tyson was like. Like, you know, I saw so many boxers and when he burst onto the scene, wow. <laughs> I mean, wow. And I was so watching true. some reruns like, you know, a week and a half ago. He seems a really good guy. You know, and he's had bad press and stuff, but he just seems there's one guy I'd love to meet one day and hopefully in Vegas or somewhere you can intro him into me. But tell me about him. Tell me, you know, you obviously know him pretty well. I would love to introduce you to him. He's, he's one of the greatest guys ever, man. And the thing about Tyson is when he was coming up, the world had never seen anything like this. Yeah, no, I, I mean, mean yeah. <laughs> I, I, Tyson had this aura about him and this, you know, this look, this aura that when he walked into the room, it was like when you said you went to your first boxing match, Mike Tyson scares people, man. When that guy walks into a room, you're like, holy shit, there's Mike Tyson. I'll never forget the first time that I brought him to a UFC event and I had him sitting with me at my table. Yeah. And the fighters were walking into the octagon to fight and they'd see him and freak out. They would like freak out because he was there. I mean, this is the guy that everybody grew up idolizing. And then yeah. you take Tyson, the way he fought, what he would do to people, how viciously he would knock them out, how he would chew up and spit out sparring partners left and right. The things that would happen outside of the ring, you know, he'd get in these crazy fights, you know, in the streets with, with, with Mitch yeah. blood green and, yeah. and, and, you know, uh, some of the interviews that he would do when he would freak out and snap on people he just had this. There's never been an athlete like Tyson. There never will be again. Yeah. The, the aura that this guy had, the 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 fear that he put into people, not just opponents, 
people that are out sitting in, sitting in the ring. I mean, in the arena, we're afraid of them. Yeah, I know. I mean, I'm so glad you. And tell me, what is he like as a person? And you, you now see him on TV shows, and it's kind of funny. What's he like as a person? I mean, we all see him in the ring, right? And you've described him so aptly. I mean, even on TV, when you, you're just like in awe and like, my God. But what's he like? What's he like as a person? And you know hanging out with him and stuff. He's awesome. He's funny. I, I, I'll give you, I'll tell you a, a quick story. So he's, he's going to do this Roy Jones fight that they just did. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm, I'm against it. He's too old. I don't want him to fight. He doesn't have to fight. He, he, he's got other talents. He can do other things. He makes money in other places. Yes. You're not going to go in and make 10 million in one night. Like, like he could fighting. Yeah. So, so I call him up and I said, Mike, don't do this. Don't do this fight. You know, let me do this. that, and that. Yeah, yeah. So then I start talking about the fight negatively and he gets pissed at me. Right. So he calls me up and says, listen, man, we're friends. We've been friends for a long time. I'm a grown ass man. This is what I've done my whole life. I want to fight. I'm going to fight. And I don't need you shitting on my fight publicly. And I said, you know what? You're right. You're absolutely right. And I apologize. You ain't going to hear another word out of me. So I said, but I, I got you a gig. Uh, it's Shark Week. They're, they're, we're going to do a Shark Week on you. You know, you're going to go down and you're going to swim with sharks. He says, so let me get this straight. <laughs> you care so much about me that you don't want me to go to fight another guy that I, you know, something I've been doing my whole life, but you want me to go out in the ocean and swim around with sharks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it sounds like you really care about me. <laughs> Can he Which I thought yeah. was it, hilarious. Uh, good man. Does he? Where does he live? Vegas or? Yeah. He, well, he has a house here. He's got a place in LA. Okay. Complete different direction. Tell us about Vegas. Tell us about living in Vegas. Look, we all know. Yeah, you know, I mean, talking about Vegas, you know, the Hangover movie, <laughs> the scene that you'll never forget. <laughs> <laughs> forget when Tyson's uh, the guys have stolen his tiger and he, he comes in and, and knocks out the dude but yeah. we, we we know Vegas as party we know Vegas as boxing you know last time I was there I was up till seven in the morning with Tiesto and Zeko and all these dudes you know I went in at I went in, it was still sun, and I came out of the clubs and it was sunlight uh, and there was a pool party uh, but you know, what's it like living in this city? There's yeah. no place in the world like Las Vegas, man. And for people listening, if you've never been here, you've never experienced anything like it. It's a, it's a, it's a, 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 it's like the only place on earth where you can get all the things that you get here. The most incredible live sporting events every weekend, uh, the best shows you could possibly see, you know, every night of the week, uh, gambling, you know, you can gamble. You can play any game you want, as much money as you want. It's the only place in the world you can go out with $20 in your pocket, go out, eat in the best restaurants, drink all night, party at a nightclub, and come home with $10,000 in your pocket. <laughs> the list just goes on and on. But living, living, living there every day. Right, but that's what I'm getting to. Anything is possible in Las Vegas when you come here. Now, when you live here, the thing that I love about it is it has all of those things still. But what this city really presents people with is opportunity. Right. This is a city of opportunity. There are many cities. Like I lived in Boston. I, I, I was in New York for a while. All these cities with old money. And maybe you can go to college there and get a good job or something like that. 
there isn't real opportunity in these other cities. You come here, doesn't matter if you went to school, didn't go to school. If you have the right idea and you're willing to work hard enough, anything is possible in Las Vegas. That's what I love about this. Yeah. Wherever I've been in the world, what the great thing about Vegas, it doesn't matter what color, race, religion, everyone seems to get on. There's only one place no in the world where I've seen that, that's Sao Paulo in Brazil. Where No, you're right. It's, it's one of my favorite things about this city, too. Even the crazy year that we just went through this last year, yeah. th- there's no crazy racial tension here in Las Vegas. Yeah. Everybody here gets along so well, and there's this... You would never think it because it's Las Vegas, and Vegas is known for being very transient. Yeah, correct. There's a real sense of community here, in Las Vegas, and, and, and you're exactly right. Nobody cares I know. where you came from or any of that stuff. It's 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 a real good vibe here. It's kind of a to me. It's very utopian, right? And it's it, it's really cool. And look, where do people live? Because you only see the strip, right? <laughs> I don't think I've been anywhere right. else. I mean, you apart from UFC, which is a little bit out outside of the strip. But I only know that strip, right? And and UFC. Where so, do people live? I've never seen any houses there. So what's funny is the strip. Consider this the strip, right? The straight yeah. line that goes right down the middle. Yeah. And you either love you either live above it or you live below it. All right. Okay. okay. So it's like the now, Thames in London. When I say that, there, there's a place called Summerlin. That's yeah. where I live. Right. And when you live in Summerlin, you never go to Henderson. Right. Yeah, I never go there. If I if I had to drive to Henderson, it'd be like I was in another state. I wouldn't even know where to go or where I was doing. Now, right. and I'm sure many of the people in Henderson, if they had to go up into Summerlin, they don't know where the hell they're going. And all that divides it is the strip. It's there actually you. pretty hilarious. That's pretty cool. Now, now you've got a Uf, uh, UFC, an NFL team. How's that going? How's that going to go? Do you think the Raiders have made the right decision? Coming yeah, to Vegas? I think it's going to do really well here because if you look at what hockey is doing here, it's yeah. killing it. I mean, the, the people in this city are are in love with the Golden Knights hockey team, and uh, I, I think once the Raiders get up and running, it'll be the same for them too. Yeah, we we you know I. One of the crazier things I did was we sponsored the L.A. Raiders and I painted a plane in the Raiders colors and brought it out to Oakland at that time. And the immensity, as I felt when I went to UFC, of the size of these guys and the energy, I spent, you know, so many hours in that tailgate. I never heard of this tailgate thing. It's, it's amazing, amazing. Fun, right? You know, and then and then they allowed me onto the pitch, right? Uh, to kind of throw balls with some of the players. And you don't realize how big these guys are. TV doesn't, <laughs> doesn't give it justice. I felt that they could pick me up and use me as a ball. I know. And then you kind of, again, television, just like boxing, when you're on pitch side and you see some of these guys being hit, it's kind of scary. Like a cop. Do you like the NFL? Do you like the NFL? Yeah, I love the NFL. I, I love watching football. It, it's one of my favorite times of the year. Yeah, I love it. I, listen, I'm a big Patriots fan. And and obviously now I'm watching uh, I'm watching Brady's playing for Tampa. Right, big 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 Brady fan. So I I bought a box. It's crazy this whole alignment with with the Raiders. I bought a box at Raider Stadium. Right. So then yesterday I bought Mark Davis's car. You know who Mark Mark Davis. Yeah 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 yeah. I, I bought his car yesterday. It just right. by chance. <laughs> what car was that? A Ferrari. Right. It, 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 so apparently he bought this Ferrari. Drove it home and then decided he was going to get another one. Drove that one back and dropped it off. Meanwhile, the thing's all raided out. It's gray and black stripes and (laughs) blacked out wheels and the whole thing. It's a badass car. I get it in the morning. Yeah. But it ended up it was Mark Davis's car. It's got 100 miles on it. (laughs) So you're driving around in a Raiders Ferrari? 
Yeah. As a uh, Patriot tomorrow fan? I will be. I get it tomorrow. Here we go. Well, look, have fun. So, look, uh, can I go back to UFC and, you know, tell me, obviously they got into trouble. The founder, how, how long before? How long was he running it before you, you took over? And what was his inspiration? And are you still in touch with him or, or is he? They started it in 1993. Right. And, and that was the first mixed martial arts. Exactly. Yep. And it took off and did numbers at the time that rivaled the WWE and, and boxing. So, of course, he did another and another. Then uh, Senator John McCain, one of the big senators here in the United States, went after yeah. him. And uh, then it all started to unravel. And he stayed on till 2001. We bought it from him. Really, the end of 2000 and going into 2001, we bought it from him. Right. That was it. He, he, he was out. And what was his inspiration? I mean, how did he come up with the idea? And, and, what if, and what have you done differently to take it to another league? I mean, you've taken it you know, to another, another solar system. Yeah, he had a different, uh, you know, he had a bunch of guys involved in the beginning. I think it was more than one person who came up with the concept. And basically, he had gotten to a point where he couldn't, he couldn't fund them anymore. He, he, had, he had spent too much of his own money. And, uh, you know, he had to sell and he had to get out. And, and the one thing that I really respect that he did was he saw us as the guys that could take it to that next level, possibly. Right. And he sold it to us. What, what were the first things you did to change it? Well, we ran toward regulation. We wanted to be regulated. We wanted to be looked at as a real sport. This many people want to watch a freak show. This many people want to watch a real sport I with real it. athletes. Got it. And, got it. you know, rather than fight the government, you, you work with the government. Right. Well, why did McCain go after him? What, what was the difference? Well, he, he, he considered this human. Co- he, one of the one of the big things is McCain and a lot of other people were misinformed about the sport and right. what it was really all about. But it was their fault. You know, these guys used to market it the most brutal, bloody, violent sport on earth. One man enters the cage, one man leaves. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, the, the early marketing, while it helped them sell a lot of pay-per-views, in the end ended up killing them. Got it. And what did you what did you change? You regulated it. How did you get the government on side? Yeah, well, L- Lorenzo is a former regulator. He knows what they need, what they want. And, uh, you know, we went in and, and started cleaning it up. And he was also very respected by all these other regulators. So, right. you know, they, they knew when, when, when Lorenzo was involved with it, it would be done the right way and it would be done professionally. And, you know, got it, it would got change. It. So he sets up UFC, he uses the marketing and, and the government says it's kind of brutal. You and Lorenzo clean it up. And, but then, you know, I love turnaround stories and this is the ultimate turnaround story. I bought an airline for 25 cents. And we took it from two planes to 245 planes. So I always tell people, you can turn things around. And UFC is one of those amazing stories. Aside from the regulations and stuff, what did you do differently to have made it such a global sport and and yourself such a legend, you know? It's what made Lorenzo and I the perfect partners, you know? Lorenzo on on, on the... um the regulation side, you know, who we needed to get, how we needed to get this thing regulated, you know, the path we needed to take to get there. And one of the things about me is I've always been such a massive fight fan. I'm dialed in with, first of all, the first thing we did was change the live event, you know, what it felt like to be at a live event, everything from the lighting to the music, to the walks, to the commentary, 
you name it, started working on all of that. Then the presentation, how it looked on TV. And the most important part, going out and finding the absolute best talent in the world. Right. And and then matchmaking them against the best talent in the world, where the best will always fight the best. Right. And you don't just put on one fight. You put on a bunch of fights that people care about that night. Right. And how did you find talent, Dana? That was tricky in the beginning. But, you know, because we bought the, you know, the UFC and really started pumping some money into the sport, more and more people started training in this. And it it really just took off like wildfire. Right. This became, think about this, when you and I grew up, your parents would put you in like um, karate or taekwondo or something like that. Yeah. And this became the new martial art that men, women, and children started training. Right. Can you remember, who, who was the first guy you said, and who was the first guy that really helped you, you know, the, the, the first couple of fighters that really kind of started making UFC what it is today? Yeah. Chuck Liddell, Matt Hughes, Rich Franklin, you know, e- even at the time when this thing was growing, Nick Diaz. A, a lot of these, uh, George St. Pierre, oh, yeah. Anderson Silva. Right. How did you find Chuck? So Ch- Ch- I started managing Chuck because through John Lewis when we were taking jujitsu. Right. Oh, right. Chuck Liddell wasn't even in the UFC. The UFC didn't want him. Right. I brought Chuck into the UFC, and then look at him. He be- ended up becoming one of the biggest superstars ever and a legend of the sport. Yeah. You know, Dana, prior to AirAsia, I was in the music business, and managing talent is the hardest job. My son, who's now kind of doing his own little, small little productions, you know, he said, I don't know how you do it. I'm trying to manage this one talent. and. You know, it's, it's driving me nuts. How do you deal with fighters who have so much adrenaline? How do you, you know, I mean, I've seen you at, at ringside and I, I see some of the things you have to go, go through when some of these guys lose it, even outside of the ring, right? How do you deal with it? You love it? It's, it looks like you love it, to be honest. You you, you can handle drama. You, you know, you, you kind of revel in it. I love everything about this business. I love this business inside and out. Yes. It has its challenges and yes, it has its egos and personalities and, you know, different personal problems and different professional problems. It's all part of the gig. It's part of the deal. And I don't know how I deal with it. We, we, we deal with everybody on a, on a one-on-one basis, but I, I think we have, have put together a pretty good formula over here and, and, and how we deal with things. For the most part, I let these fighters be who they are. Yeah. I don't ever yeah. tell them what to say, what not to say, what political side of the fence to be on, um, any of that type of stuff. Let them all be themselves. You know, we have a true global business with 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 uh, human beings from all over the world, from all walks of life, from all different religions, you name it. And we, we let them be themselves. You know, there, there's times where I butt heads with some of these guys. Yeah. Doesn't mean we can't do business together. And you don't have to love me and I don't have to love you either for us to, for us to make money together. Yeah. I, I think there's some strong messages that come out from, from this talk, Dana, for everyone to, to understand. One is, you know, passion. Two is, you, I mean, you just love what you do. Two is, you know, freedom, that you believe in everyone's rights as, as long as you stay within the law and a, f- a few other things. And, and three is, you know, you, you never give up. But the most important thing for me, Dana, is your humility you are so successful but i i see you i watch you and i want to tell everyone out there that no matter how successful you are it's always great to remember where you came from and and dana white today is showing that you know he's he's humble and i think that's the most important 
human character you can you can live with and and he loves people and that is a a, a wonderful thing to do Dana you're a strong family man as well and being in your kind of business that's a that's a that's a pretty cool thing to have thank you my friend for everything you know you 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 go on holidays you you spend quality time i think too many of us find it hard to balance but you seem to have got it right give us some advice you know how many people talk about retirement yeah. oh, i can't wait till i retire it's it's just it's a fantasy don't 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 buy into the the uh retirement thing retirement will kill you you have to get up every day and find something that you love to do, get out and do it and, and be a part of society and, and, and work and make things happen and, and be a part of life. But at the same time, you know, when it comes to your loved ones, you don't have to be married. It could be your girlfriend. It could be your parents. It can be your kids. It can be whoever. Life is all about making memories. At the end of the day, all we have are memories, right? And when I'm gone, your kids have memories of you, places they went places you ate, things you ate, songs you listened to, whatever it might be, you have all these great memories that you've created throughout a lifetime. And if you can align all these things and get it together and and, and do as much of all of that as you can, you've lived a good life. This is why I love you so much. I I 100% subscribe to that. And I don't believe in retirement. Uh, you know, I think as soon as you retire, that's the end of your life. Yep. And I also believe life is memories. And I always tell everyone, get up in the morning and make this like this is your last day of your life. Be positive. Go out there. And, and that's the other thing I love about you, Dana. You're always positive. And, you know, you are the epitome. If there's going to be a saint for COVID, you're the man. <laughs> because you haven't let, you know, if I could if I could go to the Vatican and ask them to canonize you as the patron saint of COVID, because you've been that shining light. You haven't let COVID get you down. And I was so proud to see one of the first major events in the States in Florida where it packed out stadium was, of course, a UFC fight with, with Dana fighting it. But, you know, I really need you to get a message out here. We're fighting, we, you know, America's now pretty much open. Europe's open. Yeah, we're going to get some spikes here and there. Asia is scared. Asia is really scared. Australia is like a hermit kingdom. You know, that they, they, they maybe that's conscious. Maybe they don't want to see the rest of the world. It's, it's unbelievable. Australia, listen to this. In Australia, everything that's there can kill you. In the water, on land, everything else. You guys are worried about COVID? Are you kidding me? <laughs> everything in the country can kill you. So look, give us some words of inspiration. How you you were determined not to let COVID. You know, you were straight away. You 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 said you're going to set up your own island and and, and do UFC out there, your own bubble. You know, just tell us some of that and tell us why you think we should move on from COVID. Originally, first I was going to build a lab here, and we would do our own testing before testing was even heard of over here. Yeah, you know, I'm one of these guys. There's always a solution ever every problem hiding in your house for a year and a half isn't a solution that's a bigger problem so i never i never believed in that it was never a, a thing for me believe me I got a really nice house. I could hide out for a very long time in my house, but that makes no sense to me. But And and here's the bigger problem. The bigger problem is I'm the leader of this company. I I am the boss. All these people that have been with me, a lot of these people have been with me 15, 20 years, right? They've invested all this time, energy, and faith in me that I'm going to lead this thing in the right direction that 
if they ever want to leave, they can go get a great job because they got those three letters on their resume. They can make enough money to support and take care of their families. So so what, what, what happens in a traditional situation like this is you walk right in and you lay off 30% of your staff. Lay off 30% of your staff. Uh, all your executives take a, a 50% pay cut and we ride this thing out. Hell no. That's never going to happen with me. I would never do my employees like that. I would never do that to my people. So I said, we're going to figure out how to charge through this thing. And we did. We, we figured it out. We created a bubble. We had the safest bubble in all of sports. We had the lowest, the lowest rate of, of, of people contract. And nobody, nobody caught COVID in our bubble. And, it, and, and in terms of COVID, your business pretty much stayed the same, right? And went up. No, right? my business went through the roof. Yeah, through. And that, was that, that, I mean, you put the fights on, obviously more people at home, but you lost the income from, from live events, but you covered it from TV and endorsements and stuff. And, 100%. So yeah. I did, I lost $115 million at the gate. Right. But every pay-per-view, because everybody on earth was at home, every pay-per-view I did, did a million buys. Right. And because we were doing so well, sponsorship went through the roof and, and, UFC Fight Pass took off because people wanted more stuff to watch. Everything just sort of balanced out. Balanced out, it, yeah. And it ended up becoming our best year yet yeah. after losing that much money at the gate. I mean, that's 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 an abject lesson for all of us listening, guys, that there's always a way out. There is always a way out out of this. And as as you know, in AirAsia, we haven't been able to fly, but we've gone and turned our business model around and tried to do some new things. And while we can't say this was the best ever year, we're, we're moving in the right direction. Dana. But you know what? You know what? And just to, 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 to expand on that, where I'm very lucky is it's like my buddies at Station Casinos, like the, the brothers, they can't just pick their casinos up and move them. Yeah. Like I can say, you know what? I'm going to go to a, a deserted island somewhere and I'm going to put on my fights and I'm going to figure this thing out. Very lucky that I have a nimble business that I'm able to yeah. do that. Yeah. It's like you with yeah. your airline. You can't say, you know what? Uh, we're going to fly it. It's just, you know, uh, very lucky to have a nimble business. Yeah, that's cool. Dana, how was, how was the event in, in Florida? Any any major scares? Any any COVID clusters? Whatever. So we put on the, the fight in Jacksonville, Florida, sold out, packed arena. Then we went to Houston, Texas, same thing. Arizona. And now we're about to do it again in Vegas. Nobody got sick. I never caught COVID. Yeah. I've never caught COVID. You know, n- nobody that works for the UFC or has been involved with the UFC has died. No, it's 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 all. Yeah, been- well, that, and these are these are these are kind of messages I want to get across to people in Asia as well. And guys, listen, everything in life is a risk. Okay, my, my biggest fear. You know, you know who I did know though. I did know a lot of people, including my father-in-law. Okay who hid from COVID for a year and a half, hid, didn't come near the family, didn't spend time with loved ones, uh, you know, and died, died of something else, didn't die of COVID. They hid from this thing, then died of something else. There's one guarantee, we're all going to die. Let's not die hiding in our house, hiding away from everything, you know, get out and live, live your life. Don't live in fear of dying. We're all going to die. You could die tomorrow from from God knows what. Yeah. Don't hide. Get out and live. Cool. Dana, I got to ask you because there's another, I mean, there have been so many great messages here and, and, and time's running out a little bit. We could talk for another 10 hours. But tell me about Donald Trump because obviously there are so many perceptions of him out in Asia and the world, to be honest. You know, I did The Apprentice. I met him a few times. I did The Apprentice Asia. But, but you know him in a 
completely different level. Tell me what attracts you to him and what do you like about him and, and what you don't like about him. So I've, I've been friends with him for 20 years. He uh, gave us our first shot. Uh, you, you know, we first bought this thing. The, the, this isn't as popular as it is now. Venues didn't even want us. Yeah. Arenas didn't want us. And he, he called me up and said, come on out here to the Trump Taj Mahal. We'd love to have you. Cut us a great deal. We did two shows there. He showed up from the first fight to the last fight, both shows. Every good thing after that that ever happened to me in my career, that guy picked up the phone and called me and said, hey, congratulations. I always knew you guys were going to do it. You know, always. And, and think about this. Back then, the Trump brand was here. Yeah. UFC brand was down here. Right. And But he saw it. He saw that this thing had the possibility to be big. And when he said he was going to run for president, you know, I started hearing from the media that that he was going to call me to speak at the Republican National Convention. And I said, I, I have no idea. Sure enough, he called and asked me to do it. Everybody told me, you know, don't do it. Don't do it. Stay out of the middle of this shit. I said, this guy's been good to me for 20 years. I like the guy. I'm going to show up and speak. I showed up. I spoke. He wins. He ends up becoming the president of the United States. And let me tell you how this guy treated me while he was the president. I mean, I'm sure you've seen pictures. I've been on Air Force One. You know, I've been to dinners in the White House. I've, you know, just I, 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 I have so much. I love the guy. I love him. And and you know, take aside politics and all that. I think what you said there is he stood by you. He helped you, and you don't forget. You're not a fair weather friend, and that's it. Exactly. I'm going through that now. You know, COVID has taught me a lot about who's your real friend, you know, and oh, uh, yeah. who's there when you really need them and who made so much money out of you for 19 years and when you need a little bit of help, they drop you like a hot potato. And I did a TV interview, a radio interview yesterday, and I said, long after I've gone, when I'm six foot under, I still won't forget how certain people treated us. But boy, to right. those guys who were stuck with us, I'm there for them for the rest of their life, whatever they need. And that's a really great lesson for all of you listening. And that, again, is another reason why I love this guy. You know, love him or hate him, Donald Trump, whatever. Dana is his friend and he's going he's gonna, to, you know, stand up for him and, and tell, him, tell the world what he really feels. Uh, what was it like talking at the Republican National Convention? Did you ever imagine as a kid in Boston you'd be doing that? Yeah, I'm one of those guys. You don't have to like somebody that I like, you know. This guy's my friend. He's done a lot of things for me. He's a good guy. Say what you want. Think what you want. Everybody's entitled to their own opinions of everybody. Uh, it's like you. The, the first day I met you, listen, I, I'm one of these guys. You're either my kind of guy or you're not my kind of guy. You were my kind of guy the first day we met. Matt, you and I hit it off, and you and I have been friends ever since, and we will be friends till the end of time. So, yeah, that's that's the way that I'm built. And yes, the the the, the Republican National Convention was, convention was crazy, but but I loved it. You know, I, I like getting up and talking about things like you said earlier that I'm passionate about. And and uh, you know, Donald Trump was always a good friend to me, and it was pretty easy to get up just like it is here and tell you all the things this guy's done and and uh, why I would stand up and tell everybody he, he he's a good friend. You think he'll run again? I don't know. I, you know, we <laughs> talked a couple. I called him for his birthday, yeah. and you know, we. we we didn't talk politics. Uh, but what, what's your feeling? You think he would? You know him. He's a fighter. Yeah, I, I think he probably would. Yeah. <laughs> La last couple of questions. You know, you've made some big stars, which is also a great thing. You know, I've, 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 I, nothing makes me happier to see people involved with me go on to do bigger and better things. Tell me about Joe Rogan. Yeah, Joe, Joe Rogan, you know, was on this show called Fear Fact. And, you know, it was a really big show. 
back in probably 2002 or three. And he, uh, he was a big, he spoke really eloquently about the sport, super knowledgeable about it, very passionate. I mean, when you watch a UFC event and you hear Joe Rogan talking about a fight, he doesn't sound like a talking head that's getting paid, yeah, you know, yeah. to talk. You can tell this guy loves the sport. So I reached out to him early and asked him if he would be interested in coming on board with us. And he did. And he's such a good dude. You know, that was when we were struggling uh, financially. He did the first 10 shows for free. Wow. That's a, that's a, that's a great fact. That's a great yeah. fact to know. And is he still involved with you guys? I mean, now he's moved on to becoming a big personality himself. And Yeah, then he started his podcast. He started a podcast when nobody knew what the hell podcasts were. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he, he built that thing with his own two hands, and he's turned into, you know, a global, you know, I, I, don't, I mean, everybody all over the world listens to Rogan's podcast, men, women, children. I mean, people are, are, are obsessed with it. My, my, my son is obsessed with him. He got me into Joe Rogan. I, I you know, I never really knew him. And uh, yep. my son as a 16 year old was kind of telling me about this, this, this Joe Rogan guy. And he's special. Dana, what do you think of, of Asia? You know, you're in Vegas. What do you think of Asia? You know, how can you make UFC more accessible? You know, will we ever see countries UFC, I mean, boxing has come, big stars have come. UFC is still not so you know, large as a live event. People want to see it live. And, uh, you know, do you think it'll become more accessible? But firstly, what do you think when you come to Asia? What do you like about it? What don't you like about it? Tell us. Yeah, I love everything about it. I mean, if I had to pick one thing that I don't like about Asia, it's probably the flight. Other than that, everything's awesome. <laughs> you know, it's always cool to go to these different parts of the world with different cultures. And because of me, you know, loving martial arts and loving fighting, Asia is is so badass to me. Yeah. And, and, and what I do like too about Asia is every different group of Asians have their own style of fighting, which is so cool. And their own history of, of martial arts and, um, you know, combat. So uh, it's very, very fun for me to go to these different parts of the world. And, you know, think about this. We built this sport in just 20 years. Right. 20 years is not a lot of time. And, you know, we've already got Weili Zhang, who was a, uh, you know, our world champion. She's ranked number one. She just lost to Rose. But, you know, from China, uh, I got two Chinese women in the top five. There's Chinese men, you know, speckled throughout the top 15. Uh, I, I have people from Poland. I have people from Brazil. I got three African champions now, and the list goes on and on. Every year, we just become more and more global. Yeah, Dana, how do we get the sport live in some of the smaller countries in the world, or in Southeast Asia, or in Malaysia, or Thailand, or I mean, Indonesia? These are not small countries, by the way. But you know, my whole life is about bringing accessibility. Whether it was in the music industry, uh, you can watch in many concerts on TV, but there's nothing like being there. Is there any, I mean, it's, it's a big, big thing bringing a UFC event out. I know it's a lot of money, but is there a, a smaller version? Is there a better way of getting accessibility out so we can we can see those stars right up front? You know, I as I said, I'm all about accessibility. In AirAsia, I was focused on connecting places that were never connected. And that's how we built our business, right? To, to, to go to cities that just never had flights. And, and so is there a chance for... You know, my man sitting on the right of me, who's obviously a massive USC fan, that he could get out in Kuala Lumpur 
one day and, and see a UFC fight? Is that a dream or yes. a reality? No, no, that's a reality. That's that's my goal. My goal is to take this thing everywhere in the world. But as far as watching it live now, because of streaming, that's becoming a reality where my, my big goal and my dream was for one day, the whole world to be watching the same fight at the same time on the same channel. Right. And that day keeps getting closer and closer. Yeah. Well, cool, Dana. Look, I've taken a lot of your time. It's been I think this is going to inspire a lot of people. I love your honesty. I love your personality, everything about you. And, and, and that's why we do get on so well. We, we, we share the same beliefs. And those are good beliefs that hopefully many people will, will grab on. Your, your determination to win, your loyalty to your staff, your loyalty to your passion and your family. I mean, the list is endless. Dana, it's been an honor and a privilege. And thank you for allowing people in Asia to... Uh, know more about this wonderful great man and we hope to bring you out here more in the distant future thank you my brother likewise my friend you are you are one of my favorite humans on earth so it was it's always a pleasure anytime thank you see you soon have a great day thank you bye